Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where we share our latest insights on recent developments in politics and policy in the UK, Europe and internationally. Well, hello and welcome to a podcast today brought to you by the Global Council team here in London. Uh, My name is Alex Dawson. I'm the UK politics and policy practice lead uh, here at GC in London. And I'm joined today by uh, two of my colleagues, Stephen Adams and Tom Smith. Stephen is an expert in international trade uh, and is a senior director of Global Council. Tom Smith is our practice lead for public services with particular uh, relevance and expertise uh, on uh, the National Health Service, which brings us on to uh, the topic of today's podcast, uh, which is about the NHS uh, and its status in any future trade talk Uh, with the United States in a post-Brexit United Kingdom, following on from President Trump's comments this week on his state visit to the United Kingdom. Uh, Now, just to give a bit of background to anyone who missed the uh, storm over this, uh, President Trump, in response to a question from one of the the UK's lobby journalists, uh, said that the NHS would be on the table in any trade deal Uh, with the United States. This speaks to a lot of fears amongst uh, anti-free trade campaigners in the UK uh, that any involvement with the United States in a trade deal uh, is going to uh, potentially lead to the privatisation of the National Health Service, which is much loved, much celebrated, much uh, revered in the United Kingdom. Now, the next day, President Trump rode back from these comments. However, President Trump's comments did provide grist to the mill for the Labour Party, who claimed that the NHS was at risk from the Conservative Party and its plans for uh, trade deals with the United States. Uh, And obviously for Conservative Party leadership contenders, there was a race to see who could come out first with a statement that they would protect the NHS uh, from the uh, privations of the US healthcare lobby. Now, to shine a little bit more uh, light on this issue rather than simply political heat, Uh, I'd first like to kind of turn to Tom and ask him, what would it actually mean for the NHS to be on the table in a future trade talk? So there's probably a few areas that um, the the press and and MPs uh, kind of conflate when we think about uh, how health services fit into a trade agreement. Um, There's the question of uh, services and whether... Um, firms from outside of the UK will be able to bid for contracts that the NHS is outsourcing for uh, for both services and products and we see American firms have got pretty good access to uh, those contracts already so that's in in reality that's not something that's very concerning but most politicians don't really know that that's happening so that's why they're excited about that. Um, There's the question of whether uh, having a trade agreement with the US would the US would want to put in stipulations that the the UK couldn't extend or even retract uh, the level of of public provision of of healthcare without uh, consulting with them. Uh, And again, that's a bit of a red herring for uh, for these trade negotiations. It's it's not something that the US is particularly keen on. So so, so at the moment, it looks like that actually, you know, firstly, there is involvement by American companies in the NHS. uh, And... You know, there might be an issue for uh, policymakers if they signed up to certain terms that would then prevent uh, the UK Parliament, for example, changing how it operates the NHS. 
but surely that's all in the UK's gift. Is there, you know, and if the UK doesn't want to play on those terms, it doesn't have to sign up to a trade agreement. Exactly, and I think we're we're seeing a lot of the the, the kind of offensive overreach of of what the US would want in an ideal trade agreement where it wasn't having to negotiate with another party. In its ideal world, there would be a complete openness to all public services for uh, its corporations, but it understands the, the limitations of that and uh, accessing those, those service contracts and, and getting US firms to operate what are now publicly provided NHS services isn't really a priority, uh, for one thing. So what is the priority? Priority is around drug pricing. Uh, and the UK has traditionally done very well at um, negotiating down uh, the, the cost of drugs, uh, both from, from UK and overseas pharmaceutical companies. And a lot of this stems from the, the NHS's bulk buying power. Um, this does have consequences. It means that the, the UK often doesn't have early access to the most innovative drugs. Uh, and from America's point of view, they want um, the NHS to spend more money on accessing these drugs, uh, spending more on each treatment, uh, and that'll probably be the sticking point for any negotiations. So, so from, from that, really, it's about making sure that US companies uh, operating in the pharmaceutical sector have better access on more favourable terms to the uh, UK's drug purchasing market effectively. I mean, are there, Stephen, are there any other kind of uh, examples of where trade negotiations have centred on these sorts of issues before, uh, or is this totally sui generis? Oh, no, there, there are plenty of examples. And in fact, uh, the most recent and relevant example in this case is, of course, the TTIP negotiation between the EU and the United States, um, which touched on many of these questions and indeed which generated a very high level of controversy in the UK on precisely these questions. I mean, I think to Tom's point, it's important to distinguish between a few things here. There's clearly the access to, there's the question of the NHS's status as a protected public monopoly. Now, I mean, the UK, of course, doesn't operate a pure monopoly on healthcare. It has a very active private market in uh, hospital care and, 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 and healthcare. But of course, the, the NHS is a large centralized public provider. Now, that status is not up for negotiation. Um, there's no question that the UK would seek and succeed in seeking protection for that core status of the NHS, just as it has in every past EU trade negotiation, including most recently uh, CETA uh, and, and the EU-Japan negotiation. So that, that kind of core function of the NHS is, you know, uh, and, the, and the suggestion that the US might be able to force the privatisation of the NHS is just for the birds. The, the more concrete question, as Tom said, is the question of, uh, what the U- how the UK manages the NHS's procurement of services on the private market. And there will, be, there will be things to negotiate there. The UK does currently carve out uh, the right to discriminate between foreign and domestic buyers in certain areas of the NHS's procurement markets, in areas like residential social care, for example. And that will be an area where there will be a genuine negotiation to be had. But the UK, via the EU, has in the past, broadly speaking, carved out a lot of these uh, these areas of NHS procurement from firm commitments. It, there's no reason why it couldn't take the same line with the US in a future negotiation. The question there may be whether the asymmetry of the negotiation works against the UK's ability to hold that line, but there's no reason in principle why why the UK, the UK 
couldn't insist on it. And I think that goes to the, in many ways, the kind of key point here, which is that in a trade negotiation, almost by definition, everything is on the table. The art of a trade negotiation is what you then take off. And in services, the way you do that is essentially through a through something that's usually called negative listing. Essentially, you, you, you offer openness and then you establish a, a, a series of carve-outs or exemptions from that openness. And that's the basic mechanism that the UK will have at its disposal for protecting the NHS, for managing foreign access to procurement markets around the NHS. And my sense, a bit like Tom actually, is that that's not really where the US is focused. As Tom says, where they're focused is on drug pricing. And what the US has tried to do in the past uh, has usually been to try and find ways to get trading partners to commit to changing the way they develop reference prices uh, uh, in order to allow US pharmaceutical companies to secure higher prices uh, for new drugs. And the reason why the NHS is so important in that respect is, of course, it's not just a question of the reference price that establishes in the UK. But Tom will correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think the NHS is in fact generally the reference price centre for a very, very large part of the world pharmaceutical market, maybe 20-25% of global jurisdictions follow the NHS. So it's a, it's a big issue for the US. But as Tom is implying, it's also an area where there's going to be a lot of resistance in the UK uh, to reopening the UK's reference pricing system to suit US pharmaceutical well, because the, the UK's reference pricing system in terms of drugs at the moment is extremely opaque, isn't it? It's not necessarily opaque, but it is incredibly complicated. And the uh, number of stakeholders you have to juggle to uh, find out what your reference price is and have that related to what your view of um, actual value for, for patients is, is um, is relatively opaque. And then, so do you think that, well, no, do we think that we'd see the US trying to drive a more transparent approach to pricing as part of the, uh, as part of the package in the trade deal? We, could, we, we would absolutely expect to see that. It is, it is a routine approach to services negotiations now to try and develop essentially behavioral disciplines around the protocols for procurement, set minimum transparency standards, get as much of a grip on the way a trading partner approaches these kinds of purchasing decisions, the right to appeal them, the right for, you know, the, 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 the right to timely uh, access to information and transparency in the process itself. And I think uh, we, can, we, can, we can certainly expect the US to, to push for that in any trade negotiation. You know, and the NHS itself is kind of, uh, is an organisation that has a very, very clear public uh, image and public brand. Yet often, I think we find even in the UK, it can often be quite difficult for companies to navigate the quite complicated uh, commissioning, purchasing, split and provider models. So could this debate, Tom, trigger a, a wider look in the UK at uh, kind of the transparency versus the opacity of the NHS, its commissioning models, and also generally how it's seen by policymakers uh, both in Westminster, but also uh, the capitals of the other uh, devolved nations of the UK? I think it has to. I mean, politicians over the past 10 or 20 years have been content to let regulators and officials in both 
at the National Institute for Clinical uh, Excellence, or NICE, and NHS England, who now have a, a much greater non-political role in, in setting and negotiating prices. They've been content for them to uh, take the political hit for rationing care and uh, interacting with pharmaceutical companies. But this is a broader question. If the US firms want to open up the market to innovative medicines and UK patients could quite legitimately want to get access to these medicines quicker, uh, there's a political debate to be had about whether the UK spends money on that and indeed how it, how it could do that. We all know that the US spends at least twice as much per capita on, on healthcare than the UK. Um, there's obviously plenty of reasons why that is, but one is that the, the US has much quicker access to innovative medicines. I think one general point there, though, would be uh, that it is a general rule in these situations that um, countries don't allow those debates to be um, uh, driven by negotiations with external counterparties. And I think um, that what we would probably see is essentially a set of outcomes in an EU, in a UK uh, US negotiation which set these kind of aims for both sides, improving the way they procure innovation, taking a more um, uh, taking a more expeditious approach to drug approvals that then become a hook for a both a domestic debate in the UK and probably a, 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 a long running discussion with the US and pharmaceutical companies about how the UK system evolves over time. I mean, Stephen, much has been made of the relative immaturity in the UK of uh, debate around trade policy and trade politics, because for the last 45 years or so, a lot of this has been dealt with by UK representatives in Brussels and as part of the wider uh, architecture of the European Union. What steps do you think the UK's policymakers need to take in order to uh, kind of get themselves acquainted with the politics of trade and how you win trade arguments yeah, that's a, that's a good domestically point. and with your counterparties. You certainly have to measure the UK's readiness to operate an autonomous trade policy on two dimensions. And one dimension is, the, is very simply the kind of technocratic capacity to you know, field negotiators and manage the complex task of negotiating and codifying trade agreements and that's clearly something that Whitehall is now very focused on developing. Um, but the other, the other kind of measure of readiness actually has more to do with your political economy. It has to do with the, your capacity to build coalitions behind the trade policy that you want to prosecute. And I, the NHS is, a, is, a, is, a, is an example of that in the sense that uh, you know, clearly there are some sensitive issues around the way in which the UK may be asked to negotiate on access to certain parts of the NHS's procurement structure or its drug pricing policy. But to be honest, I think the problem is much more acute in other areas. I, I think areas like agriculture are, are probably a much clearer, ex, clearer example of areas where the fact that the UK has been part of an EU trade policy, common commercial policy for so long, has meant that some of those domestic trade-offs have been a lot less acute, and they're now very definitely going to come to the surface. Uh, one of the other fears about uh, UK-US trade uh, trade agreement is that it will make it harder for uh, the UK to bring uh, assets involved in healthcare back into national public ownership. Do we think that's a, 
a fair fear? Is that justified? Um, well, it, it, I mean, it, it could be. Um, there's no question that um, the uh, investor protection component of a trade agreement um, potentially touches on or sets uh, the parameters whereby uh, it's possible to um, expropriate or uh, bring private assets into public ownership. Of course, it partly depends on the extent to which you've already put things in private ownership when you're talking about the healthcare system. I mean, hypothetically, a future UK government could seek to nationalise private hospitals. I suppose it's, it's possible. But of course, the bottom line is those things are already covered by both domestic private property law and in many cases... Um, the, uh, the content of the UK's um, large number of um, bilateral investment treaties. Um, so while it's hypothetically possible that um, for assets, uh, you know, you are talking about restrictions on um, or constraints on the ability to nationalise assets in the future, um, there's already a fairly serious architecture of constraint on those things. Um, for contracts, you know, the question of uh, using a trade deal, I mean, it, it, it's very unlikely, or if not impossible, that you would use a trade deal to make it hard to withdraw contracts from a US private provider in the future. Those things are governed by public procurement frameworks and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and the rules around contracting. Um, and it, you can't make claims against uh, you know, an anti-expropriation framework for, uh, for, for things like contracts. Tom, just picking up on that and the frameworks that exist in terms of public policy, you talked earlier about the independence of the NHS after the Health and Social Care Act, and obviously the NHS is now treated sort of semi-independently by politicians, kind of keen to claim the reward of reform, but relying on the NHS to drive the reform and drive the sale of that reform. Um, Obviously, the NHS early this year published its long-term plan for the next 10 years of... uh, how it's going to sort of run and operate and drive a load of health improvements. How much did that long-term plan uh, reference the prospect of a future trade deal with the United States or, in fact, with other jurisdictions around the world? Or was it really very, very domestically focused? It was very domestically focused, and it's not only the international picture that the plan leaves out. There are, there are a lot of parts of the healthcare system uh, which which NHS England chose not to cover in detail in the plan. Part of that was due to the lack of spending commitments made alongside the plan. Uh, the, the £20 billion or so extra a year is only committed to, to the revenue budget. Um, so there are issues like capital and workforce which have to be addressed elsewhere. Um, but revenue does cover pharmaceuticals. And if you look at the, the projected NHS budget and what the plan Uh, claims in terms of productivity savings and efficiency savings, Uh, the NHS overall budget might enter into surplus in the next few years, which gives some headroom for for the UK to start looking at spending more on innovative treatments and and other things. Um, Whether that enters into uh, the dynamics of a trade negotiation, I don't know, and I think it's, uh, for the NHS's leadership, it's, it's above their pay grade but it'll almost certainly be a consideration at uh, central government level. I mean, you sometimes hear in Westminster and Whitehall kind of a desire for the UK government to be better at kind of commercialising the expertise, the skills, the know-how uh, that is contained in the NHS with its 
huge access to data and information and wealth of experience of treating an entire nation of people. So far in this debate, we've talked about what American companies might do to the UK health market. Is anyone thinking about uh, you know, what the NHS could be doing for uh, sort of citizens of other jurisdictions around the world? If we look at you know, innovations such as NHS X, for example, uh, and you know, do we think that, I suppose that's for Tom, and then for Stephen, I'd appreciate to hear your contribution about, you know, do we think that there are kind of some offensive asks for the UK in terms of US rules uh, that might be being sought as part of the trade negotiations. So, Tom, you, could you pick that up first? Yes, I mean, the, the government's focus on, on health exports has been primarily around the private sector and, and where tech developers, uh, UK-based farm companies and, and others can access overseas markets and developing markets in particular. Um, there's always been a broader aspiration for the NHS to be a bit more commercially active internationally um, but given the constraints on the service in the UK that's always been on the back burner uh, again it's something that should be there if you are taking a 10 year strategic look at the service and how you want to develop it um, but there's plenty of political pitfalls with that I think there's always been an appetite well there was certainly an appetite for uh, increasing the scope to export UK innovation. And clearly, um, trade agreements are one potential way of doing it, perhaps, especially where you can use them to widen the scope for access to public procurement markets. I mean, to a certain extent, those things are protected by things like um, the WTO government procurement agreement. Um, and I think we can see, we can, we can certainly anticipate that being a theme in... Uh, in a future UK trade policy, just as it's a major theme of EU trade policy now. I think I'd just make kind of one final observation about, um, about the way we talk about the content of future trade agreements, and particularly the content of a future UK-US trade agreement. Um, as Tom said at the very beginning, it is just worth remembering that uh, you know, th these things are essentially maximalist US preferences. And uh, it's the nature of negotiations that you, you start by expressing what you'd like in an ideal world. But, but a, a, a trade agreement is much wider than just what you can get on access to the UK healthcare system. It's even much wider than what you can do in terms of you know, requiring the UK to be more open to imported US agricultural goods like chicken. And we, we, we do have to put all of these issues in that context. The UK cannot be forced to sign a trade agreement with the US on things it doesn't want. Um, uh, unlike in other contexts, it will be willing to walk away, uh, apparently, from a trade negotiation with the US. And ultimately, the end, in the end, the question will be, what is the US's red line on these things? To what extent are they willing to hang, a, hang, an, hang, hang an agreement on getting what they want in areas such as SPS standards for agriculture or you know, access to the wider ecosystem around the NHS. Now, to be sure, they'll drive a hard bargain, but the question in many respects is, would they, would they sacrifice a, a, a wider trade agreement on these issues? And we, we won't know until we actually start negotiating. Well, and presumably as well, it gets to the point that in the UK so far since the Brexit vote in June 2016, people have treated trade policy and trade agreement as uh, synonymous with each other. 
And actually, trade agreements are part of a wider trade policy, and it's going to require UK politicians and policymakers to work out where trade agreements fit within the spectrum oh, of that's trade Oh, that's a great point, and it's, it's absolutely fundamental. I mean, the, the, the main reason you should be worried about trade agreements is where the UK is party to an EU FTA that it risks falling out of via Brexit. There, the question of rolling over those agreements and securing continuity is, uh, you know, is a really, really key one. Beyond that, the, the focus on FTAs, to my mind, has been, uh, has been far, far too narrow. Uh, trade policy is mu- about much, much more than the UK's capacity to sign trade agreements. Uh, it's as much about its own unilateral openness to trade. That's a subject that has barely been touched on in the last two and a half years, at least until the government published its, uh, its proposed MFN tariff schedule for a no-deal outcome. And of course, there's a huge range of trade policy tools that you can use to encourage market opening, develop trade, promote exports and imports, uh, you know, work towards mutual recognition of standards that don't have to be done, and in many cases are better not done, precisely because of the broader trade-offs that go with a big FTA package, that are in fact better done outside of the FTA framework. And to, to my mind, this, the, the, the sooner we move over to thinking about uh, FTAs as just one part of a much bigger toolkit, uh, the better it will be for the quality of the discussion around the future UK trade policy. Look, thank you very much, Steve and Tom. I think what's clear from the discussion today and the controversy over the last week or so in relation to President Trump's comments on the NHS is that uh, this will not be the last you hear about the potential trade-offs, either through an FTA or through the UK's own autonomous trade policy, uh, about matters that really the UK public and UK policymakers hold very dear and are very, very passionate about. Uh, But thank you again for taking the time to join us today. Uh, If you have uh, any kind of queries or want to uh, look up any of the people involved in this podcast, uh, please do visit www.global-council.co.uk and do get in contact with us. For more insights, blogs and analysis, you can visit our website www.global-council.co.uk and subscribe to our mailing list. You can also follow us on Twitter at global underscore council.